welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. This morning we continue our sermon series from the book of Matthew as opposition to Christ's ministry further intensifies. It seems this new extension of God's grace was shaking the very foundation of the first century religious system. And the situation would grow all the more tenuous as the issue of Sabbath takes center stage. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 12. And follow along as we read God's word together, beginning in verse 1. Matthew Chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. Jesus said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath... Will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. They said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. May God bless the reading of his word. Now this word, Sabbath, means to cease or rest. And that's exactly what the Israelites were commanded to do on the seventh day of each week. Stop all of their work-related activities and rest in the presence of Yahweh. It was an extremely important part of Jewish piety, setting them apart from all the other peoples of the world, just as God intended when he told them to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, he told them, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Although this day of rest was not officially established until God's decree of the Ten Commandments, its roots go much further than that. As we just heard, the principle harkens back to the time of creation. In Genesis chapter 2, we're told the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. In order to prove that they were God's people, they were to follow God's example by remembering, keeping, observing a day of Sabbath rest throughout their many generations. That practice was still very much in place at the turn of the first century when Christ arrived on the scene. And though he was always faithful, to observe this God-ordained day of Sabbath, the Pharisees took great exception to his approach because he wasn't doing it the way they thought it should be done. And that's the real problem we see in this morning's text. That men have always tried to legislate righteousness according to their own standards. Take a look back at verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Uh, But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. Now, given all of the grumblings that we have heard already from the religious elite, the Pharisees' comments here are of no surprise. Of course, they have something to say about the way that Jesus and his disciples are conducting themselves because they had an issue with everything that Jesus and his disciples did during this time. They just didn't get these guys. And so they criticized at every opportunity. This time, their scorn comes because his followers were walking through the fields and picking grain on the Sabbath. Now, you have to understand, it was not the act of taking someone else's crop that the Pharisees were condemning, because that kind of gleaning was perfectly acceptable in their culture. In fact, the law made specific allowance for it. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, Deuteronomy chapter 23, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied, just so long as you don't put any of them in your basket. And when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, just so you don't wield a sickle to do the harvesting. The act itself was not a problem in any way, shape, or form. No, the problem for the Pharisees was that Jesus and his disciples 
timing. They were walking through the grain fields, picking the heads and eating on the day of Sabbath. And that was a violation of great sacrilege. Really? According to whom? You know, for all of God's insistence that the Hebrews keep the Sabbath sanctified and set apart, the Old Testament contains very few specifics on how that must be accomplished. Other than for the gathering of manna in the wilderness, Scripture doesn't provide a list of rules and regulations in regard to man's behavior on this day. It provides general guidelines to cease from temporal labor and pursue God's will. But beyond that, there are no particular restrictions spelled out here. So what's the problem with Jesus and his disciples plucking a few heads of grain on a Saturday morning? If it doesn't violate God's law for the Sabbath... How can the religious leaders say their actions are unlawful? Well, because the Pharisees made up their own laws and their own restrictions as the self-appointed determiners of all human righteousness. Friends, that's how the day of rest became the day of of burden by the addition of one man-made rule after another. Even to this day, the Sabbath is a binding ceremonial obligation for the Jewish people. But all of these pharisaical restrictions have made it more tiresome to keep up with than the six days devoted to work. I mean, almost no area of life was spared from the Sabbath regulations of the rabbis. And anything that might be considered work or work-related was expressly forbidden. And thus, on the Sabbath, scribes could not carry their pens, tailors carry their needles, students carry their books, lest they might be tempted to use those instruments in an act of work. For that matter, carrying anything heavier than a dried fig was forbidden. If that object was picked up in a public place, it could only be put down in private for whatever reason. If it were tossed into the air, it had to be caught with the same hand because catching it with the opposing hand is too much effort. No insects could be killed, no candle could be lit, no flame could be extinguished. Nothing at all could be bought or sold. No bathing was allowed on the Sabbath. Not because bathing itself was bad, but because water might accidentally spill out of the tub and wash the floor. Washing, of course, is work. No furniture could be moved, since the legs of the furniture might create ruts in the floor an act that would constitute plowing. An egg could not be left outside in the heat because the egg might cook itself. Cooking an act of work. The sick were only allowed just enough treatment to remain alive. 
caregivers were told to be careful not to provide anything that might improve the condition of their patients because improvement equates with work. Women could not look into a mirror lest they find a gray hair and be tempted to pull it out, pulling it out as work. Nor could they wear jewelry because it weighed more than the allotted amount and that would require them to lift weights, which is work-related. And still to this day, still to this day, the Jewish people take these man-made rules to the extreme. I remember a time several years ago, I was called in to do an appraisal of a Jewish community center in the city of Binghamton. Now, in my time of commercial real estate, I must have toured thousands upon thousands of different properties, but I remember this one because it was perfectly unique. As we met with the caretaker and walked in the front door, we found inches of water all over the floor and still some dripping from the ceiling due to a massive failure of the roof system. And so, of course, we asked what happened because a thing like that affects the value of the property. And the rabbi, still remember, told us this. He said the roof started leaking Friday afternoon. And by the time we realized what was happening, it was too late. I couldn't call anyone because dialing a phone is too much exertion. I'm not allowed to ask someone else to work, lest I violate their conscience. I couldn't even move things out of the way of the pouring water because it was after sunset on Friday Eve. Our place of worship is completely destroyed, he said. And we won't be able to hold a service here for at least six months while we are making the repairs. But at least we didn't violate the Sabbath. Friends, this is where all of the man-made regulations lead us. And the same is true for the plucking of grain. According to the Jewish Talmud, if a person removes a husk of wheat, he's doing the work of sifting. If he rubs the head of wheat, it's considered threshing. If he bruises the ear, it's grinding. And if he throws it up with his hand, it's winnowing. That's the rule according to rabbinical tradition. But rabbinical tradition or any other tradition of men is not the same as God's law. In fact, many of their rules and regulations actually contradict and invalidate the word of God, as Jesus notes in Matthew 15, making it harder to rest than it was to labor. And that is not at all what God intended for the Sabbath. He gave it to us as a day of refreshment, a day of comfort, a day of peace. And we turned it into a burden. So we could evaluate and legislate one another's level of spirituality, making sure you go about your faith the same way I go about mine. Do you see? As it relates to the Sabbath or any other issue of religious piety, 
Men have always tried to legislate righteousness according to their own standards. Rather than the standards that God set forth in his word. That's where Jesus points the Pharisees in verse 3. He says to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Instead of debating the validity of their customs and traditions, Jesus answers his accusers with two precedents set forth in the word of God. The first one is drawn from an incident in the life of David. One the Pharisees knew, but had never thought to apply. The account is relayed to us in 1 Samuel chapter 21. When David and his men came to Ahimelech the priest and said, Therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread on hand. But there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves pure from women. Well, David answered the priest and said, indeed they have. So the priest gave him consecrated bread. For there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Now this showbread, or bread of the presence as it is called, was placed in front of the tabernacle each week. Twelve loaves for the twelve tribes of Israel, put on display in accordance with God's decree. And on the Sabbath, the old loaves were replaced by fresh ones, with the priests given permission to partake of that bread which had expired. The priests were authorized to eat of it, but no one else. Oh, but here comes David and his men in search of food. So God allowed David, his anointed king, to go outside the technical tradition in order to continue on with his godly mission. And the same can be said of Christ's second example found in verse 5. Now, according to the strictest terms of the law, the priests in the temple, well, they violate the Sabbath every single week. As they're performing their various duties, they certainly do work. But they do that work without guilt. Because though they might break a sweat, stoking the fire or burning the incense, there is no violation when the work is done in the spirit of the Sabbath. The spirit that very much promotes holiness, sanctity, and worship of the living God. Jesus looks at these Pharisees and says, Have you guys not? read any of these things? 
I mean, you're supposed to be experts in the law. Do you not understand these very basic principles? As evidenced by these two examples, we know that the Sabbath does not restrict deeds of necessity. We know the Sabbath does not restrict acts of mercy. We know that the Sabbath does not restrict our service to God. I mean, the Lord made allowances within the law for such things. Yeah, but it's hard to see that. If you're just so busy inventing new rules and regulations to keep your subjects in line. All the while forgetting about the rules and regulations that God has already given. Yeah? As it relates to the Sabbath or any issue, other issue of religious piety, men have always tried to legislate righteousness according to their own standards, rather than the standards that God set forth in his word. And Christ Jesus has the final say on how those scriptures should be interpreted. Isn't that the point he's making in verses 6 through 8? I say to you, something greater than the temple is here, he declares. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And by citing the examples of David and the temple priests, Jesus is not only providing a biblical precedent for the way that God views the Sabbath, he's also helping the Pharisees appreciate the way that authority works in God's economy. You see, among the Hebrew people, there was no one more highly esteemed than their beloved King David. And there was no symbol more revered than that of the Jewish temple. Now, is it possible that God made Sabbath allowances for them because of their lofty position in ways that he would not for the average Joe? I mean, the Pharisees might have reasoned that way in an attempt to maintain Christ's guilt in this matter of grain plucking. But Jesus puts all of that to rest. He says, God made allowance for David. Someone greater than David is here. God made allowance for the temple. Something greater than the temple is here. I mean, you guys want to debate the particulars of Sabbath observance as though you are the supreme authority on the subject, but you are sorely mistaken. For I am not only the Son of Man, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And I know better than anyone how it works. After all, I was the one who created in six days, and I was the one who rested on day seven. You don't have to tell me about God's commandments. I am God. I came up with them. 
And I tell you that even though you have crossed all of your I's and dotted all of your T's every Friday evening and Saturday morning since childhood, that you haven't observed the time of real Sabbath worship in a very, very long time. No, all you did was take the blessing that God had afforded his people, which was good and glorifying, and made it a burden filled with overly restrictive regulations and domineering law with no thought of honoring the Lord even on your minds. And you want to criticize the way I go about my observance? I think you are forgetting your place. And that tends to happen, doesn't it? We forget our place. When all the while, Jesus is the ultimate authority in regard to worship and the will of God. Are you there? As it relates to the Sabbath or any issue of religious piety, men have always tried to legislate righteousness according to their own standards rather than the standards that God set forth in his word. As we see, Christ Jesus has the final say on how those scriptures should be interpreted. And according to him, it's always appropriate to do good. Take a look at verse 9. As Jesus departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into the pit on a Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. After this exchange with the Pharisees. Jesus and his disciples finally arrive where they were headed this entire time. The synagogue. Where the Jewish people gathered every Saturday for worship. As he enters, a man whose hand was withered approached him. Presumably because he wanted to be healed. Ah, but it was the Sabbath. And... Pharisaical tradition suggested that a man could only be healed on the Sabbath if his life were in real danger. And only then could he be restored to a barely breathing state. That was obviously not the situation with this man's hand. And so, by their accounting, his healing should wait. No, but Jesus didn't show any signs of reluctance. So they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, of course, we know that their question was not asked out of a sincere desire to know Jesus' thoughts on the propriety of healing. No, this was a rebuke. It was an indictment. It was a trap. To see if Jesus would say something unorthodox and give them more ammunition. 
Well, Jesus knew their motives, but still he took the opportunity to teach them about the doing of good. He says, if your sheep fell into a pit on a Sabbath, every single one of you would take hold of it and lift it out. So what is your hesitancy with this man? He's much more valuable than a sheep, and you won't help him? Because the calendar tells you it's Saturday? I mean, the Pharisees had rules against this very thing. But Jesus tells them, your rules don't make any sense. Every day is a day for doing good. Especially, I would think, the Sabbath when we are told to focus all the more on our love for God and our love for his people. Yes? As it relates to these issues of piety, and men have always tried to legislate righteousness according to their own standards, rather than the standards that God set forth in his word. Well, Christ Jesus has the final say on how these scriptures should be interpreted. And according to him, it's always appropriate to do good, especially in the face of accusation and attack. And that's what Jesus came up against in the Jewish synagogue. He said to the man in verse 13, stretch out your hand. Well, he stretched it out and it was restored to normal just like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. Immediately after assuring the group that healing on the Sabbath was indeed lawful, Jesus takes the man's withered hand and restores it anew. I want you to think about this for a moment. They have gathered together in the synagogue on this day to worship the living God. And the one who wields the power of the living God performs a miraculous healing right there in the middle of their service. But rather than fall down on their knees in adoration, as you might expect a religious zealot to do, they walked out of the sanctuary and began to plot Jesus' murder. So just so we're clear here, the men who were so appalled that Christ and his disciples would pluck a few heads of grain on a Saturday, the same men who couldn't believe that Jesus would heal on a Sabbath are in the middle of that very same Sabbath conspiring a fellow Jew's execution? Friends, this is where self-righteousness and man-made religion will take you. To a place that is so entirely disconnected from the realm of godliness that you can't even recognize godliness when it's staring you right in the face. That's where these Pharisees had landed. 
like so many people today. They were more interested in holding on to their own authority, exerting their influence, and having it their way than they were in honoring the one true and living God. And in that, well, they missed the entire point of the Sabbath. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this example, for this teaching, for this warning. Lord, and I pray that we would not get so consumed with our way of doing things, with our man-made legislations and rules, that we miss what you're doing. I fear that has happened to so many, Lord, and I pray against it for those who are in this place today. We don't want to miss you. Lord, so I pray that you would help us, not only as we observe the Sabbath, but in all these other areas of piety. I pray that that would come from our convictions and a desire to please you, not because we want other people to do it our way. Lord, we thank you for the example we see in Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who reigns supreme over all of these things. We thank you for the clarity with which he speaks that we might learn directly from him so that ultimately, Lord, we would know the rest that you have offered us in him. Lord, thank you for this time. Continue to be exalted in our midst, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's Word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org. 